0: Four out of seven days, uh, we usually begin our day with some discussion about what we're going to eat that night, because if you don't plan what you're going to eat early in the morning, then you get to the end of the day, and you're like, oh my goodness sakes, what are we going to eat? And then you have to improvise, and some improvisations are better than the other. The worst one I ever had was I took zucchinis, I sliced them thin, I breaded them, I'm not kidding you, in crystal light. I don't know why. I thought it would be a good idea. I thought it would taste good. You know, kind of the lemony vibe played off against frying them, and all. It was a horrible disaster. Okay, so if you don't, if you don't plan, if you if you fail to plan, you are planning to. Yeah, right on. Except that's not how my brain works, okay? So like the, the business world prizes, the ESTJ, okay? The, the person who's extroverted, the person who is like a, a, a logical thinker, the person who is like very orderly, likes a lot of order, that's not me, So often I find myself improvising, often I find myself flying by the seat of my pants wondering what I'm going to say next, but not always. The best laid plans of mice and men, you know the phrase, you know the book perhaps by Hemingway, did you know that it came from a Robert Burns poem, To a Mouse? Because it seems as though Mr. Burns back in the 1700s, it was written in 1786, is his story about how he was plowing in a field one day and he plowed up a mouse's little house. I just thought that was cool when I found it. Just a little insight as to how my brain works. Planning is defined as the process of making plans for something. Not any surprise there. Improvising is, is this, uh, this ability to create and perform spontaneously or without preparation. But there's also a second definition of improvising, and that is producing or making something from whatever is available. So when we wake up in the morning and we're like, hey, what do we want to do tonight? We do tacos, fine, we'll get the necessary ingredients to make tacos that evening. But say that we get to the end of the day and we haven't made that decision. Then it's kind of like whatever's in the fridge is fair game. And sometimes the things that are in the fridge aren't very fair at all. Is there anything worse than black beans? that have waited too long in a fridge. Try it sometime this week. Like, open up a can of black beans, pour the juice off, throw in a sealed container, and then let them marinate in your fridge for like two weeks, and then open it up. And it'll put you to your knees. I'm serious. It'll just like drop you down. And there's nothing, nothing that you can do with that. Text today, slight diversion from Philippians, but still in the New Testament. The triumphal entry. Now, I have a problem with church history on this one, and I'll get into that. Some of you have heard me rant before. Let's start. Verse 28, Luke 19, page 878, if you have one of these. Should we start handing these out again? We can do that, can't we? Okay, we'll do that next week. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. You'd rather read it than hear it, right? The voice in your brain is better than the voice that's coming out of my mouth. When he drew near to Bethpage, okay, not in New York, not the golf course. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, don't try this at like Donlinger's or Kimber Creek or don't like roll up and be like, the last time I preached on Luke chapter 19, I said, hey, don't go to Houston Ford and say, hey, the Lord has need of a car. Okay, Houston Ford sold Kimber Creek. You'd have to go to Kimber Creek now. Same idea. Probably wouldn't work today. Why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Oh, the Lord has need of it. Well, then take the colt. A couple thoughts in the name of accuracy, and here's, here's my, my rant. We call this Palm Sunday. We call this the triumphal entry of Jesus. David Garland argues specifically in Luke, although there are references, Mark, Matthew, and John, who include palms, there's no mention of palms being involved in the story from Luke. Reasonably sure they were there, Luke doesn't emphasize them. Also, we have no idea that this event actually took place on a Sunday. We don't know which day of the week it took place on. We guess, and it fits our calendar, but we don't know. Just coats and jackets and some day of the week. And even though the heading, according to the text but not the inspired Word of God, right? The just textual heading is thought of as the triumphal entry. We might even question that, right? Since the story's main figure is in tears by the end of the story. And and I think we miss that, okay? And we miss the reality that there's only two times in the Bible where it says Jesus is crying. One of them's here, and one of them is when his friend's Lazarus has passed on, is dead. That being said, and here comes a classic understatement, that being said, it's still a pretty important event. And what we have is more than a Google map. What do you think would happen if Jesus said, Siri, how do I get to my own death? Get, would that even work? Yeah, you, you, you take a right at Bethpage. We're not exactly sure where Bethpage is. We think it's near Bethany since they're related to one another. East side of the Mount of Olives, okay? And I'm guessing that Jesus was facing south, but we don't know that he was facing south. So take a right at Bethpage, go down, you know, walk down the hill, walk through the eastern golden gate, which I have done, and and look for a mob of people wanting you to overthrow the Roman government because that's what they wanted. And there is where you'll find your death. It's a little bit like an all-inclusive where you just pay one price on the front side and everything is taken care of. And in some very specific ways, the arrangements have been made. But in some areas, there exists some free flow. And, and I, think, I, I think if we want to really understand at a broader level of how God works, I, this idea of planning and improvisation, okay, I, I, think, is part, I, I think it explains a lot, Okay? Maybe it doesn't get into the deepest, darkest, most horrible things when we shoot people. I don't get that. I don't understand why we shoot young people, we shoot cops, we do this. I don't, I don't get that. I don't know why we permit that. I don't know, can't we stop that? At, at any rate, that being said, it may not describe the, the, the deepest, darkest parts, but this idea of God having a plan that he's taking from creation, moving forward into time, and and then some improvisation, right? Some response, some interaction, some doing with what he has available. Jesus says, get a colt. Now we know to this point, Jesus as an adult has walked. He's, He's ridden in a boat over water. He's even walked on water. But as an adult, there's no suggestion that that there's been animal transportation until this moment. Get a colt. Solomon rode one. In fact, before Solomon was was crowned David's successor, David says, put my son on a colt and have him ride into town. Get get a colt. Zechariah 9.9 prophesies to the people, that their king will come on a colt, get a colt. Is, is this one of those things that is prearranged or that the animal was visible to Jesus? Each has their own advantage, right? If, if it's prearranged, you know, the last time Jesus was blowing through Bethany or Bethpage, he stopped by this place and he said, hey, in a couple weeks, I'm going to be back. I'm going to need some transportation. I would like to use your colt. And they're like, no problem. You have changed our life for the better. We are now closer to God than we have ever been. You can have one of our colts. When will we get it back? Jesus says, I don't know, but you'll get it back. Fine. Colt will be ready for you in two weeks. Prearranged, preplanned, Jesus had the foresight to realize he was going to fulfill the prophecy. Jesus, in complete control of events, moving with purpose towards something that is only necessary because of sin and a fallen world. He will, before the week is up, give himself completely to an angry mob, making no effort to defend himself completely enthralled by the will of the Father, creating a way to redeem creation. And when we say we are followers of Jesus Christ, this is the signature example, right? And the one that we challenge, that challenges me to the core of my being because I live a lot of my life with me in control and me making a decision and me saying what I'm going to do. And yet for the follower of Jesus Christ, the signature, most compelling example is Jesus saying, no, 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 it's it's not me, it's not what I want, it's what the Father wants. Get a cold. maybe it was prearranged. Or maybe in the moment, there's this supernatural thing that happens. And Jesus sees the cult, right? In a way that we can't possibly understand. He sees the cult. He knows the prophecy better than anyone else. Jesus was arguably the the greatest theologian and biblical scholar who has ever lived. And by arguably, I mean it's not arguable at all. And he tells his disciples in this rather cryptic manner, hey, you're going to go into this town, you're going to take a right, and then the first place on the left is going to have a colt tied out front. Grab it. And they're like, what? Would that be just weird instructions? Well, what's the name of the guy? It doesn't matter. What color is the home? I have no idea. You don't need to know. Oh, and by the way, he will ask you, why are you taking my colt? And you just say, the Lord needs it. Oh, okay, no questions asked. We'll worry about getting it back later. So you get the Colt, right? But there's a little improvising, right? No saddle, so they use a couple of Colt coats. By the way, Colt is a brand of motorcycle or a style of motorcycle. Hence, Triumph or Honda, give me a Colt. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks, here's the improvision, throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it, and as they rode around, they spread their cloaks on the road, and he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. And it's really cool. The top of the Mount of Olives, you can, you can look across the Kidron Valley, and you can see the Temple Mount, okay? And, 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 and is this impressive sight. And you go down, and then you come up, and you come in through the eastern gate. And as he was drawing near, okay, coming down the Mount of Olives, ch- chances are the place where we think the Garden of Gethsemane was is, is based right at the bottom of the Mount of Olives. And there are these tangled, really funky, old olive trees that are like, I mean, they're like this big around and they're hollowed out and they've, they've, they're still growing. Possible to have an olive tree that's 2,000 years old? The answer is yes. So they come down, right? They come down, and and while they're on their way down the Mount of Olives, this multitude of his disciples are are rejoicing, praising God with a loud voice, and they quote Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. This is something that you would have said to a pilgrim entering, entering Jerusalem at this period of time. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees, they know the prophecies well. It's not lost on them. They know the Psalms as well. And and it's just too much for them. It's just more indiscretion on top of a guy who has already claimed that he can forgive sin, claimed that he has seen the Father, and self-identifies as I am. And the people are totally improvising. This spontaneous explosion of delight when seeing Jesus. And even though they are right but wrong, more on that later, you cannot blame them for improvising on the spot. Cloaks get thrown down. You can't blame them for the response. Jesus said as much. He tells the Pharisees, if the people don't say something, well, then the landscaping will really, really speak to you. One way or another, the created order, whether it be humans or rocks, testifies to whom Jesus is. Verse 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And here's why I don't think it's triumphal entry. I think it's a really sad entry. how the people got it right but were wrong that yes Jesus is king yes Jesus blessed yes peace in heaven which is intriguing right because when you remember back to the birth of Jesus it was peace on earth here it's peace in heaven why did Jesus why why did they change it what did they know scratches our head glory in the highest without question and they completely missed it completely right and totally wrong. What they're thinking they're getting is a Jesus who will fulfill their nationalistic ideals. What they want is a Jesus who will come into Jerusalem and throw out the Romans and get rid of the bad guys. They want a Jesus who will will restore the glory of ancient Israel, certainly the reign of David, the Davidic kingdom, and a town filled with centuries of memories, good and bad. They don't realize that the thing that they need most is about to slip through their fingers. And we still do this. We fail to recognize Jesus for who He is or fail to realize the purpose of His kingdom. And if you're politically savvy but honest, you will acknowledge that both sides do this. Both sides claim Jesus to be their guy. Both claim some high ground because they identify Jesus Christ as perhaps a great teacher or a great king. And what we find we do is we use Jesus to achieve what we want or to make us feel good, as opposed to having Jesus orient our lives around his kingdom. I mean, how often do I do this? Underestimate Jesus. Either what he wants from me, what he brings to my life, or, or what he will bring to our lives. What's intriguing in all of this for me is, is that he's willing to do what he's about to do even though the people are totally getting it wrong. I mean, usually when you want to help someone, you want to make sure that they're worthy of your help, right? How many times have we encountered this? Oh, if a person really can pull themselves up with the bootstraps, then we'll help them, right? Or, or if a person is worthy of being helped, then we should extend to them some sort of economic or social grace or this kind of stuff or this kind of... But, but, but Jesus is like, no. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die before humankind makes one step towards redemption, I mean, if you wanted me to do something for you, I would at least want to know at the end of it we're going to be friends. I mean, that's reasonable, isn't it? But the Scriptures tell us that Christ dies while we're yet sinners. Before the created order makes one step towards Christ, Christ is making the step towards them. If that doesn't blow your mind as to how we should be willing to follow the example of Christ in our lives, I don't know what will. Before I put in any effort, Christ was willing to requisition a donkey and ride to his death. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. What do we do when we encounter something? What do we do when we have a need? What's the story behind the story? Hidden Figures is a movie that featured the real-life story of three brilliant women at NASA, Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson. That they were women operating in the STEM fields in a male-dominated society in the 60s was mind-blowing. The fact that they were women of color, African-American, is, is, is almost too much to even imagine was possible. They were the people behind the confidence that John Glenn had being shot up into space. The figures that for years were hidden. Jesus says, the story behind the story, you you don't get it. What could have brought you peace is now hidden. What do we do when we need to find a solution? We take what is around us and we improvise. What do we do when we come face to face with the planned, intentional reality of Jesus Christ? Put it another way if Jesus Christ wanted to get on a colt and ride into our lives, ride into my life, ride into your life today, would you let him? Would we welcome him? Would we embrace the peace that he offers? Or do we settle for a version of Jesus that makes him weep? It's Holy Week, right? How can this year be unique? How can this experience maybe be just slightly different? In some ways, it's highly practical. In some ways, it's highly mystical, right? Because Jesus sits out there having done the hard work. The Spirit sits out there proactively engaged with a created order. Would we invite that Spirit to challenge our view of faith and our commitment to the cause of Jesus? Would we be willing to ask the Spirit to bring the peace of Christ into our lives? Would we ask the Spirit to renew our faith? And as we begin this Holy Week, starting in the Western Church with this this concept called Palm Sunday, which might be better termed, riding to your death for a group of people who don't understand what you are about Sunday, are we willing to let Christ in? I don't know if you saw it this last week, but in Westchester, Ohio, Um, There's an individual by the name of Lee Wong. He is the the president of the the, uh, local council. It's a governmental agency. Um, And and he was responding into feedback that he's gotten in the past and most recently, and then the tragedies that occurred in Atlanta, Georgia, in which a number of uh, people of Asian descent were killed, um, apparently um, because they were women and Asian women, which, again, mind-blowing to me. And, and, he, and he's like, I'm, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> I'm kind of tired of being taken for granted because I am a person of Asian descent. And so he's like, you, you want to you wanna see how serious I am about being a, a United States citizen? And, and he starts unbuttoning his shirt. And you're like, what in the world, you know? 60-year-old, 69-year-old dude. No one wants to see this. I'm 53. No one wants to see this. Put a shirt on. He's like, you want to know what patriotism is? He's buttoned his shirt, takes his shirt off, lifts up his T-shirt, okay, white T-shirt, and here he's got a scar, a dark scar, okay? He's like, I earned this serving our nation 20 years in the United States Army. This is what patriotism looks like. So quit telling me by virtue of what my face looks like or the tone of my voice that I'm not a patriot. (laughs) End of story. Christ says, I got the scars to prove I'm for real. And what I'm asking you to do is follow me. It's holy week. Let's evaluate our lives based on the reality of the person who has the scars. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you today, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus. A ride on the back of a colt to death, to sacrifice, to pain, to anguish beyond belief. So that before we made one step towards you, You had already planned and created a way for us to be redeemed to you. Father, let your plan, let the example of your Son, let the power of your Spirit be so real in our lives that we are drawn unmistakably with a clarion call to the life and to the example of your Son, Jesus Christ. Allow us to experience the forgiveness of sin that He bled for. Allow us to experience the redemption of our souls. Allow us to experience the peace of Christ, irrespective of the turbulence of the world in which we find ourselves. Allow us, O great God, to follow your Son, Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.